Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and all major podcast providers. So if you can't catch the show live, you can download it or simply use our free podcast player, which is available on our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to connect with us, please post your question on our wall on Facebook or send me a tweet at June Stoyer on Twitter. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Austria's Finest Naturally, authentic pumpkin seeds and pumpkin seed oil from the Steiermark, available at organicuniverse.com. Listeners of the Organic View can receive $1 off their purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. That's O-R-G-V-I-E-W. Also, don't forget to check out our contest section on our website to submit your information for our free monthly giveaways. For more information, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com forward slash contests. On today's show, Tom and I have a number of interesting topics. Some of the things we're going to talk about today are Newsom Seralini's camp, designer seeds, GMOs on public land, Cuban honey, bee thefts, and the upcoming swarming season. So I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper, Tom Theobald. Good afternoon, June. Hi, Tom. It's great to be back. It's hard to believe that it's the end of February. We're uh, having a fair amount of pollen coming in from the early flowering trees, and it goes unnoticed by most people, but beekeepers pick up on it right away. So that's sort of the opening act for a colony of bees, those early trees, the ashes, elms, some of the others. So spring is opening up for people in the beekeeping world. We still have a couple more weeks of winter left, but it'll be interesting to see exactly what the spring is like as well as how hot the summer gets. Back in the news is French professor... Seralini, who is well known for his work on GMOs. And basically, for those of you that are not familiar with his research, he concluded that when GMO food, when fed to rats, caused serious health problems, including tumors. And apparently, he has been involved with a major lawsuit. This is a really interesting story, June, in many regards. Seralini did a feeding study. And what he did was he did a feeding study that had been done by the chemical industry, but he extended it beyond, I believe, 30 days or perhaps, I forget, three months. I think he went to six months. Well, shortly after that period of time where the chemical industries cut it off, he began to see tumors developing in this rat population. And this was pretty astounding results. Well, he had it peer-reviewed, and it was published in a journal, and the chemical industry took exception to it. And they it's a story about, I believe, corruption of the whole system in, in some respects, because what apparently happened was the industry pressured the journal to create a new position, an editor for biotechnology or something like that, and in a step almost unheard of in scientific journals, they retracted an already published uh, study. Well, 
that was two or three years ago, and in the past few months, Seralini has won a defamation of character suit, something, a report that characterized his uh, work as almost fraudulent. And now his his work has been acknowledged as correct and, in fact, has been published again in a different scientific journal. So this is a very interesting story, not only of scientific uh, research, but uh, corporate intrigue as well. For those of you that would like to learn more about his research, you can go to gmoseralini.org. And he actually has a new post which talks about a new study that the first commercialized GM crop was toxic to farm animals over long term. Now, Tom, this is really a very interesting study that ties into some of the things that are going on in your neck of the woods. Tom, can you explain to our listeners what's been going on in Boulder, especially as it pertains to public land? Very, again, a very interesting story. Um, Boulder County is a fairly forward-looking group of people, and many years ago we began to use our tax dollars to purchase lands for a variety of purposes, some cases to separate and give identity to municipalities, in other cases to preserve wildlife habitat or provide for recreational opportunities, and one of the major Objectives of that effort was to preserve farmland and to preserve the farming community that has been a part of the history of this county since the very beginning. And about seven years ago, a controversy arose over whether or not uh, farmland owned by the citizens of the county, county land, should be used for the cultivation of genetically modified crops. And uh, a commission, a, a council was created and reviewed that question for almost two years, I believe, and came up with a, uh, a policy document, part of which assured the public that the commissioners and the county were going to look for alternatives to this form of agriculture. And in fact, two commissioners that ran subsequent to this uh, agricultural policy ran their com campaigns based on that concept that they were going to lead us away from these uh, industrial uh, technologies. Well, part of the cropland policy was that the issue be reviewed in five years, and here we are. It's five years, and the first time two years of consultation uh, concluded with a nine-and-a-half-hour, I think it was, a series of three-minute public testimonies. And uh, chemists, the chemical companies were well represented, and the farmers who, who want to use these processes these practices were present and spoke out. Well, the, uh, another of those occurs Monday, and we're going through the whole process, and we're four and a half years down the road, and it appears that little or nothing has been done. The farmers are back again pleading for the continued use. In fact, may want even broader uses, and the, the citizens, for their part, have about had enough. 
and that hearing will be this coming Monday. It's a local issue, but it's of national significance because there's much publicly owned land around the country, and I'm sure that they will be facing this issue at some time if they haven't already. Well, if you take a look back at all of the work that Jim Garrison did with Ascada, and that's the Organic Seed Growers Trade Association, Jim Garrison has been in and out of court against Monsanto in order to protect farmers that do not utilize the genetically modified technology. Now, what's interesting is, is that he lost. And if you think about what you're saying, Tom, all the public land that's out there, and say if they were to move forward and not only do it by you, but do it around the country... Think about how that would impact organic farmers. It would be impossible to grow anything organically because basically once it's contaminated, you don't own it anymore. Well, we, we may be at that point in many parts of the country because one of the characteristics of the uh, genetically modified crops, and that's what's up for review in Boulder County, is that they are inextricably wedded to another agricultural technology, which is seed treatment. And that seed treatment is with, largely with a family called neonicotinoids. They're water-soluble. In many cases, they have half-lives of years. They migrate readily with the groundwater. And we may already be seeing that kind of contamination in many parts of the country. It, uh, the EPA and the USDA have been very reluctant to look. They don't want to know. They don't want their failures to be revealed. But everywhere we have looked, we ha we are finding these chemicals, the neonicotinoids. California did a survey, and they found imidacloprid, which is one of the neonicotinoids, in 89% of the samples they took. Well... If you're an organic farmer and your land has been contaminated with these chemicals, what rights do you have? What are your rights to be protected from this? Well, time and time again, we've talked about this very subject. EPA is protecting industry. They're not doing its job protecting the people, the environment, which is why they were created. If you look at what happened in Flint, Michigan, with the water, the government failed to protect the people from something that they knew was possible. It's interesting that the blame was shifted towards the governor, and there really wasn't much of anything said in regards to EPA. EPA's job was to protect those people, just like EPA's job is to protect us from these chemicals. Neonicotinoids are everywhere. It's in the water. It's just a matter of time. How many people need to have health complications because of these chemicals? The bottom line is, is that they're putting these chemicals anywhere that they can, basically to keep their profit shares increasing. And the responsibility just isn't there as far as who should be looking after the environment, the people, the land itself. Well, so 
I don't know. We've we've been failed by the very agencies and institutions that we've put in place to guard against this very kind of thing. And uh, I'm thinking as we're talking, this is a who passed gas in the elevator situation, and everybody wants to point the finger at someone else. Someone needs to get in the driver's seat here and and take control because this is an insane course that we're on. I've, I've wondered why we're not hearing anything from these political debates about these issues. They're very important, but... In a way, uh, what we're seeing here with the, the chemicals and industrial agriculture are reflected in what's going on at the, at the national level. I think part of the appeal of Donald Trump, for example, is that many, many people are just sick of this. We're sick of people that give us a lot of words and do nothing or work against us. Um, we have to change this. And... As important as it is, as important as the bees are and this chemical concern, it's just part of it. The government seems incapable of doing anything correctly. Well, on that note, since you brought up politics, people that are supporting Hillary Clinton might want to take a look at some of the things that she's supported throughout her career, especially since she is openly in support of GMOs and also fracking. And what's interesting is that Bernie Sanders, whether you like him or not, he has said that something has got to be done. He is in support of GMO labeling, and he's also in support of doing something so that these multinationals stop increasing their influence on decisions that affect how our food is grown, and so on and so forth. It's not something that's really coming up in these debates, unfortunately. It would be great if somebody like Donald Trump came on board and started talking about GMOs and Monsanto, but I just don't see that happening. I think he's talking about a lot of issues that people are talking about and want solutions for, but as far as the issues that pertain to bees and pollinators, Nobody's really addressing these things head on. And as I said, the only person that's coming close is Bernie Sanders. Now, speaking of seeds, there was an interesting article that appeared in CosmosMagazine.com in regards to designer seeds that claim that they could reduce pesticides on crops. That's very interesting, too. Uh, That was the story where they were going to coat the seeds with beneficial organisms and fungi and things like that. Isn't that correct? Yes. Basically, it's the, the article talks about a U.S. startup that has developed designer seeds which would reduce the amount of pesticides used on key crops, including wheat, barley, corn, soy, and beans. The company is based in Massachusetts. Sometime in 2016, they expect to launch a series of seeds wrapped in a careful concoction of good bacteria and fungi to provide protection and promote growth for plants in harsh conditions. So it's quite interesting that this is coming about, and it's great to see that there are companies that are launching different products to compete with the GMO technology, which subsequently uses the neonicotinoid technology 
So it's nice to see companies like this popping up. June, this might be an interesting story to watch because I would ask, how long do you think it will be before one of the mega corporations buys this company? Think about it. I've come to you and I've I've sold you on this uh, seed coating technology with systemic pesticides that's going to protect you from all kinds of things. But what I don't tell you is that it's also going to kill all the life in your soil. It's going to kill the earthworms and the beneficial bacteria and the fungi and the arthropods and you name it. Lots of things I don't even have names for. It's going to kill them all. Well, what are you going to do? Well, here's a way to to, to remedy that situation. I'm going to sell you this thing that I have a patent on now that's going to reintroduce some of these beneficial things that I've just charged you to kill. I think this will be an interesting company to watch. I'll bet you within a fairly short period of time, there's at least an offer to purchase them from one of the mega corporations. I'm sure that there will be. I'm sure that they're going to heavily monitor all of their progress and try to go in for the kill as soon as possible. But the bottom line is is that it's opening the door for other companies that are looking to combat the technology that they know is really destroying our soil and inevitably will be our own demise. Now, I would like to talk about a subject that came up. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's in regards to whistleblowing. Apparently, in Colorado, there was a Western Slope man that received jail time for illegally exposing his neighbors to pesticides. Boulder environmental attorney Randall Weiner prosecuted the case. Weiner notes that this may be the first time a jail sentence has been imposed for violation of pesticide spray rules. I think this is really interesting, and it also ties in to the Be Safe Neighborhood efforts, because that's something that is a positive way of educating your neighbors. That really needs to take place nationwide. But I think when it comes to how some folks communicate with their neighbors, you can only try so much. And then what are you supposed to do? The laws are not really designed to protect the homeowner from the pesticide. The homeowner is supposed to read the label, and that is if the homeowner does. Or the landscaping company is supposed to have somebody that's licensed and basically the applicator's test is kind of a joke. So what do you do if they just pile on the chemicals and your land becomes contaminated? It happens all the time all across the country, June. It's one of the things that the beekeeping community is faced with. But I've read this article and... uh, Hotchkiss is a small town on the western slope of Colorado, and and it seems to me that there's more going on here than meets the eye. One of the things that they found was that uh, the concentration of this suspect chemical was higher on the the person who complained. It was higher on their property than on the farm from which it supposedly came. So it seems to be more than just a little uh, conflict ongoing here. And as far as as the sanctions are concerned, this fine was fairly stiff, but two days in jail and 
and he got uh, Mr. Weiner got to pick when those days would be. And I have to say about Mr. Weiner, sometimes it seems that there has to be a supreme being with a sense of humor that picks names for people. Well, I just want to read a little bit of the article. It says, being considerate to your neighbor is important, but a recent Hotchkiss man is learning this is the hard way if you're not. Mr. James Hopper was found guilty of continuing to spray pesticide that made its way to the property next door despite a court order in 2012 that barred him from doing so. And now, according to the plaintiff's attorney, Hopper is the first person in America who will serve jail time for illegal use of pesticides. Victim Rosemary Bilchek says her husband suffers from a rare form of leukemia, and the pesticide sprayed being used by her neighbor, James Hopper, was causing further damage to her husband's condition. She has a very genuine concern, especially if your husband, doesn't matter, any family member, anybody that you know, has cancer. I think they have a valid concern. Well, I've had conversations with others who have said, you know, one of the things that has happened is we have come to accept the use of these chemicals as some sort of uh, right that if you object to it or if you're affected by it, you have to defend against it. It's A good example is the... Con- conflict, the the contrast between the way America approaches this and the way most of Europe does in many other countries, and that is these chemicals have to be proven to be safe before they enter the market. Well, this is an interesting... In America, it's just the opposite. Well, this is an interesting point, Tom. This is an interesting point, that I want to mention is another argument in favor for the plaintiffs is that Delta County is considered a major center for organic growing, and they were registered as pesticide-sensitive property, plus had signs indicating their property was organic. So I think this gentleman, out of spite, I, I don't know what would cause somebody to do to do what he did, but the bottom line is is that there clearly is no respect for the land. The guy was focused on his own issue, whether he had too many dandelions or whatever the problem may be, and I think that this is a very significant case. It's interesting because Hotchkiss was the home of Theo Colburn, who was active for many, many years in the concerns over the endocrine disruption qualities of many of these chemicals. Theo passed away fairly recently within just the past few years, but Hotchkiss was her home. She was an amazing lady, and she is very much missed. Also in the news, the 12th Latin American Congress and 6th Cuban Congress on Apiculture will meet in Havana July 18th, through the 22nd. So this is going to be a very interesting event, especially since there's so much attention being given to Cuban beekeepers. Cuba is an interesting example of what can happen with beekeeping in the absence of these chemicals and is a good contrast. And I think that the information that we have coming out of Cuba will be very enlightening and will strengthen the argument of those of the beekeeping community who are concerned about the 
level of chemicals being used. It'll be interesting to see what happens at that event. I want to talk about something that's impacting the commercial migratory beekeeping community, and it's in regards to bee thefts. We have talked about it in the past, but it's something that really needs to get more attention. Well, just think about it from the human standpoint. You have uh, beekeeping operations that have been terribly decimated by this chemical environment. You have almond growers who depend directly upon honeybees for a crop, two colonies per acre. If you have two colonies per acre, you can expect about 2,600 pounds of almonds. If you have no bees, you can expect about 60 pounds of almonds. So what that has done is that has led to a migratory beekeeping system where beekeepers are set up with forklifts and flatbed trucks or semis to move colonies of bees fairly efficiently. There are four colonies to a pallet. With a forklift, a truck can be loaded or unloaded quite rapidly. So you have beekeepers who are desperate. You have almond farmers who are desperate. And you have bees that are sitting out on locations that are isolated and unobserved. And the human failings take over. And there have been several hundred colonies stolen and relocated that have been reported, and there probably are hundreds more that haven't been reported. Well, for people that don't quite understand how heavy one hive is, this isn't something where a hive just magically disappears. Whoever is stealing the hives obviously has has been mapping out the location of the migratory beekeepers as far as where they're setting up and whatnot. And obviously you have to have the equipment to haul the stuff away because they're not going to just take one hive. No, a pallet with four colonies of bees would probably have a gross weight somewhere between 450 and maybe 800 pounds. And a forklift slips in under that for that group of four, and it's on the truck in no time. And the beekeepers are equipped to do that. These beekeepers are in California because of the pollination business, and that's part of the business. Those are the tools of the trade. Flatbed trucks, forklifts, they can move colonies very quickly. And it's easy enough to find them because the almond pollination requires about one and three-quarter million colonies of bees. One of the concerns that's been communicated via email by a number of our listeners is what's going to happen if these commercial migratory beekeepers don't have enough bees? Will they be getting bees from other parts of the world? Are they able to get bees from Canada, from Mexico? What about from Cuba? Is that something that's a possibility? All good questions, and it's one of the things that uh, American beekeepers are very concerned about. For a short time, we did that with bees from Australia. After many, many decades of the borders being closed off because of concerns over diseases and pathogens of various kinds, because of the crisis, for a time, we loosened that control and we were bringing in bees from Australia. And what we found was that those bees had not adapted to many of the common challenges that American bees faced. And what we did was we compromised the gene pool of American bees. 
I think we have recovered from that, but perhaps not. And uh, so that was cut off after a short period of time. They did it for a few years, and then it was cut off. Canadian beekeepers might like to have this market down here, but I think that they would make a one-way trip. They don't want to take any of the American problems back to Canada. Uh, it's a very complicated question, and and it doesn't really solve the problem. It simply runs away from the problem. It patches it over with a Band-Aid, and we'll be facing these same problems and even greater problems five years down the road or 10 years down the road or 15 years down the road. We've got to start making some sensible decisions here with regard to these chemicals. The last thing that I want to talk about is swarms, especially with the warm weather season approaching I just want to remind people about swarms, that if you should come across a swarm in a place that's not convenient or appropriate for where you're living, by all means, call a beekeeper. Call up your local bee club. See if you can find a local beekeeper that can come and remove the swarm because they truly are the future of that colony. In most communities where you have beekeepers, the beekeepers are eager to get the swarms, and and they're not interested in the ones that are 30 feet in the air. But most swarms are within reach. They're fairly low, and that would be the beginning of another colony. A swarm is the way a colony of bees divides and multiplies. It's like throwing a calf. And in most parts of the middle America, they the swarming season begins about the middle of April and continues into early June. They're completely harmless. It's the young bees that go with the queen. They have no territory to protect. They've gorged themselves with honey before they've left, which mellows them. And they're of no danger whatsoever. So a beekeeper would be happy to take that swarm. And a good place to start if you don't have a beekeeper's association in your town would be to start with the uh, police department or the fire department and see if any beekeepers have registered with them. Thanks, Tom. And it's that time where we are out of time. So I just want to say thanks so much, Tom. And I'd like to say hello to some of our new listeners, especially Hope Ann Petrie, Eric Nisbet, and his son Bailey from Nisbet Family Farms located in Arizona. I'd like to also mention Alyssa Anderson from California, Minnesota Honey Farms. It's always great to hear from our listeners. And if you'd like to send us a question, please feel free to email us at questions at theorganicview.com. Thanks, Tom. We will continue this next week. Thank you, June. Thank you for tuning in, folks. Please check out the companion article, which will be available on theorganicview.com. Have a great afternoon.